delight to get to share with you. Thank you, Pastor Brent, for sharing last week. Uh, when I was gone, we had a family event out in California that I, I did not want to miss. And so it's great to be back with you. I did miss you guys here, and it's good. So we are in the season of Advent, and the Advent season is actually the start of the church calendar. Advent as a word is something that we're sort of familiar with, I hope. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Brent talked about it last week from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival. And it's a time where we celebrate the arrival of Christ in three different ways. We celebrate and focus on the arrival of Christ in Bethlehem. That's the, the incarnation time. We celebrate his arrival in our life when we decide to make him Lord of our life and we invite him in, he stands at the door and knocks and we open the door and say, come in, and he lives within us and, and that arrival is, is only made possible because of the first arrival. And those two arrivals set up the third arrival that's also celebrated and focused, which is when he will come again to make things right and to take us to himself. Uh, speaking of... Uh, one of our dear members who sat down here for probably 30 years that I taught this class passed away this week and is in glory. She was 94, wasn't she? Marguerite Hall was 94 and still making it to class and uh, uh, I'll miss seeing her smiling face down there until we see her again. So here is what I want to do this morning with that Advent introduction. I want you to feel like you get to go to the buffet early. Our buffet is going to be found from Luke chapter 1. And what we're going to do is taste and feast on some of the Advent events that we can read about in Luke chapter 1. So join me there. I've singled out three or four. I don't remember precisely. Uh, but we're going to try and make it through those three or four. And then uh, uh, we'll head to church. The Spanish service is happening, I think, in here right after this. So we can't be late. we got to clear this place out pretty quick. So with that, let's go to the buffet line and let's load up our plate. We start with this admonition. As you go through life, please don't be shocked. Don't be shocked because, you're going to find this shocking, <laughs> life is full of ups and downs. It just is. I mean, think about it. Think about your own life. Think about how some days are great days. You know, there are some days where I have a great job. I love my job. I get to do things that I enjoy doing. I get to, to, to have a witness on the stand and cross-examine that witness and watch them wither and die. <clears throat> I get to, 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 to hear a, a jury return a verdict that's a just verdict. And, and there are days where I have the best job in the world. But there are also days where I hate my job. I, I, look, one of the worst days that I've ever had in my job was the day I had to fire someone. And I had no choice. I had to fire them. I liked them. And I had to fire them. I had to say, I had to sit down with them in the same room and say, you're out of here. Well, I didn't say it that way. I was pretty close, but I, just, I, I, I didn't like my job that day. I didn't want to go to work. You know, we, we got a great result up in Cleveland, but ask me, did I really want to spend three months of my life in Cleveland recently? No. I mean, do, do you realize how disturbing it is when you've been away from home so long that you're talking to your wife on the phone at the end of court one day and you tell her, hey, when I got home, I did this and this. And you realize you're calling your hotel room home? That, that's, that's a disturbing aspect. 
Now, there are times where in relationships, there are ups and downs. There are times where relationships are marvelous and wonderful. And there are times where you feel like you're getting a root canal. You can go to the hospital and you can go to the maternity ward and you can see people so happy and excited and rejoicing when one floor away they're in tears mourning the death of someone. You know, you, you, the hospital itself. Life is full of ups and downs. Don't be shocked by that. All of you are going to have ups and downs. You'll have great holidays. You'll have horrible holidays. You're going to have this entire mixture in your life. And I'd love to tell you, you become a Christian and all you do is have ups. But if I told you that, I'd be lying to you. Because life is full of ups and downs. Now having said that, there is a difference when you're in the hands of the Lord. And that is where we're going to start with our first Advent buffet meal. Luke 1, 24 through 25. After these days, these are days where um, uh, Zacharias has, has, Zachariah has been at the temple serving in Jerusalem. And the angel Gabriel appears to him. And he tells him that his wife is going to have a child. And Zachariah is like freaked out because they're way past childbearing age and had never been able to have children. And doesn't really believe him. And, and, and is stunned, you know, how am I going to know that this is true? And, and, and the angel says, well, easy, I'll make you, or God makes you uh, deaf and mute until uh, the baby's born. Every time you can't talk, you'll be thinking, oh yeah, God's reliable. So anyway, after these days, his wife Elizabeth did conceive, because God is reliable. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. So, um, uh, I think that most people understand that uh, miscarriages happen quite often. And we understand more about how often miscarriages happen in our day and age because you can take a pregnancy test Heavens, they probably have them where you can take them a month or two before you get pregnant and find out you're, you know, but, but you can find out you're pregnant almost immediately. When in days, and, and, and then might have a miscarriage, when in days gone by, you will have wondered if you were ever even pregnant. Elizabeth undoubtedly had gone through these experiences in life. She wanted a child. She lived in an era where having children was the validating self-worth of a woman. And so she had suffered the stigma and the embarrassment of seemingly not being blessed by God. It is the Hebrew Bible and the wisdom literature that says children are a gift from the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So she, you could infer, was not blessed by the Lord. She was not smiled upon. There must have been a problem with her. And so she hears from the writing of her husband, because he can't talk, that an angel has appeared to him and said she's going to have a baby. Even though she's not of childbearing age and she you know they, they tried IVF they tried everything they were not able to have children and so in the face of that all she can do is suffer the and, 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 and she thinks maybe I'm pregnant but she's not going out in public at least not until she's clearly showing She's not going to go out there for five months she hides herself. She doesn't want to be ridiculed. Hey, you've eaten a little too much. She doesn't want to have a miscarriage and suffer that embarrassment again. 
Life has ups and downs even, and, and don't read through this story without the doctor who's writing it, Luke, giving you the ups and downs. He doesn't just say for five months she kept herself hidden because he's trying to fill up a scroll. He's letting us know the stigma and the, the, the difficulty and the embarrassment in her life. That this has been. And then she's saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Because people looked at her and they thought, God doesn't care for her. We read this stuff and it's so easy for us to read by it because we've, we know about Jesus. We know God so loved the world. We know all of the fact that God is love. And we know that and we're in church worshiping him because of who he is. So it's hard for us to go back and to put ourselves into that time where Luke is writing. Where people were suffering under this concept of, of God's harsh judgment against her and her husband. And he's got to go to the temple and work. He's working in the temple of God, serving, while all of the community thinks he and his wife must have some secret skeleton blasphemy, some problem, because God's clearly not smiled on them, but frowned on them. And it's been an embarrassment, and it's a humiliation, and it's just the, the, it is, has not been a happy time in that regard in her life. And yet, God is at work. God is at work so life has its ups and downs and I just want to say to her give God the time because God is going to work in the midst of our ups and downs to his good end in his good time she is going to bear John the Baptist who heralds the coming of the Messiah the one of whom a prophetic word had been given to the prophet Isaiah centuries before in Isaiah 40. Prepare the way of the Lord. That is an incredible opportunity. And she's not going to have that child except by a miracle of God at the timing of God. And so we need to give God the timing. So as we're reading through this and tasting at the Advent buffet, I want you to remember that God works all things together for good for those who love him. And whatever ups and downs you've got in your life and I've got in my life, we need to know that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We need to know that God has turned our mourning into dancing. That he's taken our sackcloth. That's what uh, the, 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 the ancient Hebrews would wear. They'd put on these old burlap sackcloth bags in mourning. And they'd like put dust in their hair. And it's worse. They used a hair product called oil. And they would put oil on their heads. Now you mix a little dirt with that oil and tell me how you feel. Tell me how you look. And that's what they do. And it says, you've turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth. You took off the old burlap. You gave me a shower and you clothed me with gladness. God is at work. So in this life, don't be shocked because life is full of ups and downs. But there is an advent and that advent speaks to you and me. Jesus came in Bethlehem. And Jesus came at the right time. And not only that, but Jesus comes into your life and promises he will come again. So when you experience the ups and downs of life... Don't get so caught up in the moment that you lose track of the promise. Hear me? 
Don't get so caught up in the moment that you lose track of the promise. God is at work in God's timing, in the ups and the downs. Got it? All right, let's go back to the buffet and let's get some more. I want you to look at the contrasts in what Luke is telling us in this Advent chapter. I want you to look at the contrasts. Let me set it up this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Now this is right on the heels of what we just read. These are the next verses. In the sixth month, the angel of, it's a, the sixth month is, is of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Luke is writing this story. And Luke chooses how to put his story together. This wasn't, hey, I'll just sit down at the typewriter and bang out a few lines Stick it in an email, have a good day. This is something where he deliberately and carefully wove a tapestry, a story. A story that would not only communicate on, on a surface level, but that communicated down deep. And he loads his account up with contrast. Things that should make you go, whoa. You know, you can almost get whiplash looking at the differences in the contrast. So remember, he's been talking about the birth of John the Baptist and the pregnancy of, or not birth yet, but the pregnancy and the, the prophecy about John the Baptist. And now in the six months of, of, of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, he's now shifting over to Mary. But in the process of these, you've got a contrast between Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, the husband, hears the story from the angel and he's like, yeah, how am I supposed to believe that? And he gets a sign by being unable to speak. Elizabeth, his wife, on the other hand, doesn't say, yeah, how am I going to believe that? She just stays hidden until it's obvious that her reproach has been removed by the Lord. So she responds in faith while her husband responds in a bit of disbelief. And there's a contrast in the way they respond. The contrast is not just in, in that, but look at the gender. The unbelieving fella who had egg on his face is the male. The believing is the female. You say, hey, what's the big deal? Back then, huge deal. Huge deal. Women were, in many regards, in a public way, second-class citizens. Within Jewish society at the time, uh, I'd have had a very difficult trial. If I had been trying my case that I just finished in Cleveland, if I had been trying it in Jerusalem in the first century, first of all, it wouldn't have taken me three months because half of our witnesses were women and women weren't allowed to testify because they were unreliable. For a long time in the U.S. of A., women couldn't vote because we just couldn't trust them. They weren't smart enough. They didn't care enough. And what right did they have to have a say-so in a public arena? They should stay at home and take care of the house. Women, I, I, I remember growing up, my mom lobbying hard. We, I grew up in a house with a mom who was, uh, um, in my dad's terminology, a torrid liberal and a dad who in my mom's terminology was a painful conservative and and they went round and round and round on politics always with love in their heart I mean 
when mom was out there lobbying for the Equal Rights Amendment uh, and dad would say something, you know, she could say, you know, you should support me in this. And dad would, I think his standard line was, oh, I'm for equal rights. I think half the male chauvinists should be women. And dad had that sense of humor. Think about it. It'll grow on you. But, but we live in a world where we've seen major changes, but you've got to go back. This contrast that Luke writes about was, was profound to that era. You've got not just the gender contrast, but you've got the reaction contrast. Now that's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now look at Elizabeth and Mary. And look at the contrast here. First of all, Elizabeth is too old to have a child. And Mary's so young she hadn't had sexual relations yet. She's too young. You got both ends of the extreme. You not only have that, Elizabeth's married, Mary's not. You've got both ends of the extreme. He loads this up with status. Elizabeth's husband is a priest. He's in Jerusalem doing service. Mary's going to be married. She's betrothed to be married to some fella way up in Nazareth. Hicksville. You got these huge contrasts. The location alone is a huge contrast. So, what do we make of this as we eat from the buffet this morning? Well, you can make a lot, but I want to tell you one of the things I think Luke's doing with all these contrasts. He's finding a way to place every one of us in this story. This story is for young people, this story is for old people. This story is for married people. This story is for single people. This story is for people with education. This story is for people who don't. This story is for people who are wealthy. This story is for people who aren't. This story is for people who live in the big city. This story is for people who live in the country. This story is for everyone. Because it's the story about a gospel for everyone. And it's a story about God's love for everyone. And whoever you are, when you read the story and you think of the advent of Christ, you need to think about it in personal terms. You need to think about Christ coming in Bethlehem because God loved you. You need to think about the opportunity to walk in personal fellowship with God. You need to think about this not being a religion but being a relationship. This is not a question of are you a Baptist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Catholic? Are you a fill in the blank? This is a question of do you have Jesus in your life? In a personal relationship. Because this is a personal story for all of us. And we find ourselves here as we go back to the buffet. And if we go back to the buffet and we continue to work our way down Luke 1, the next thing I want us to do is focus on how you are loved. There are certain things everybody wants and needs. And one of them is unconditional love. Everybody needs to know that in spite of everything you've done, in spite of everything you've failed to do, in spite of all of the things that you've messed up, in spite of all of your shortcomings, in spite of every card that's been dealt to you in this life, right now, at this moment, you are loved by the most awesome being that is beyond your ability to even understand. He knows your name. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly where you are in this life and in this world. And he loves you. 
And we see that as we work through this story. Let's continue. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And he says, Kyrie, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. The angel appears to her, and look at what happens. She's greatly troubled. Diaterasso is the Greek word that's translated troubled here. It's the only appearance, I think, in the New Testament. And it's the idea of being confused or perplexed. We've got it used, I think, once in, this, in the Old Test, Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. We've got it in other contemporary literature at the time, so we've got that understanding of its meaning. Um, there's also another New Testament word that's used a lot, diatasso. Uh, it's, it's a related word, and it is, instead of diatarasso, it's the idea that you put things in order. It's the opposite. So we've got the antonym. We've got putting things in proper order, putting things and making arrangement for things, and, and, and setting them, you know, putting the spoons in the spoon drawer or, you know, slot and the forks in the fork slot and, and the knife in the knife spot if you put your silverware up in, a, in drawers with slots. You know, that's putting it in order. Diatarasso is taking it out of order, you know, and, and it's confused. It's, it's perplexing. And that's what happened to Mary. It says she's confused. She's perplexed. But Why? She's troubled, she's perplexed, she's confused, epitologo, at the saying, at what he came and said. Now he hadn't even told her yet she's going to have the baby. He hadn't told her yet she's going to be pregnant. That hadn't happened yet. She's already confused and perplexed and troubled at all he said is, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I mean, that's, that's what she said or heard. That's what's perplexed her. Now, I want you to realize Mary's betrothed. They got betrothed when they were coming into childbearing age. And, and so she's probably a girl, scholars say, somewhere around the age of 12 or 13. 12 or 13-year-old girl. Now, you may be saying, that's kind of a freaky concept. Children matured a lot earlier then in terms of mental maturity than they do today. We are a product of a unique time and place in history. I'll take just a moment and fill you in on why. In the late 1920s, early 1930s, a Great Depression hit our country. Unemployment lines were massive. And before that, many of the jobs that were held had been held by children. And so as part of the economic recovery, the government made a decision that children shouldn't be having those jobs. Those jobs were needed by parents. And so child labor laws were passed that removed children from the workforce so those jobs were available. Now you roll into World War II and, and the big production economy is driven at that point. The economic recovery is, is, is put into high gear because everybody's got to be working and the women enter the workforce uh, in, 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 a, in a different fashion and, and all. And, but the child labor laws are still in place. World War II ends and now you've got these children who used to get out and start working and could even get out and be on their own at the age of 13, 14, 15. And now they're at home. So mandatory education sets in because let's get these kids in school and keep them in school. 
So you're supposed to stay in school till you're at least 16. And then all of a sudden you've got them in school and yet they're matured beyond what's normally there. They keep them in school till age 18 if you go all the way through high school. But these are children that historically had been on their own and as their brain develops, they turn into rebellious teenagers. And, and, and the social science behind this is pretty solid. That this is why, you know, you've got the children still at home, but these are children who historically had been on their own, and that's why you didn't have teenage rebellion in the earlier times, because those kids just went out on their own. They worked, they lived, they did whatever. It's a weird deal that's happened within our society. So we are products of the bubble where we live right now. And all I'm trying to say is, back then, the world was different. So she's 12 or 13, she's already betrothed. She's set to be married. For her to have a, a sexual relationship outside of her betrothed, actually she shouldn't with her betrothed either, but outside of it is tantamount to adultery. Because even though the marriage hadn't been consummated, the betrothal is step one. So it's within that society that Mary is betrothed. She's 12 or 13 and the angel Gabriel shows up. The angel Gabriel shows up and he says to her, greetings. Now the word greetings, Kyrie, was a typical way that you could meet someone in the Greek world. Greetings, Kyrie. You'd see him on the street, Kyrie. Kyrie, Kyrie, greetings, greetings, greetings. And Paul will use that at the start of his letters, and Luke will use that word in, in letters when he talks about letters in Acts. But generally when Luke's doing a general greeting in the Hebrew world, he'll use peace. Irene in the Greek, but shalom in the Hebrew, because that was the Hebrew greeting. So the scholars, I think, are right in saying that this is more than just greetings here. Luke's drawing from what that word actually means, which is, is favor, grace. So he's not just saying, hey there. He's saying, graciousness to you. And then he calls her. Kekeritomene is, is off of the word, um, oh, I've just put something up here that's different, sorry. I'll get to that word in a moment. What he's done here is a formula, what Luke has done. Luke has done a formula like you find in these Old Testament passages where you have a, a statement of rejoice, kyre, greetings, rejoice. And then he addresses them, calls them a name, and then he references why they should rejoice. And that's an Old Testament prophetic formula. And so that's what's happening here. He's saying rejoice, not just greeting, not just hey there, but be happy, rejoice. And then he names her. Doesn't call her Mary. He calls her O favored one. Which if you look at the word in the Greek, you can see the the chi, alpha, rho, is the same basic letters because it comes from the same word root. So he's saying rejoice, O reason to rejoice one, O favored one. I, I, what a name. Wouldn't you love to have that as your name? O favored one. Rejoice, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That's the reason why. Now, this is a 12, 13-year-old girl who's existing in a back road community in a marriage she's in the process of, of finishing up. So she's left her home. She's gone to be with this fella. Now, she's 12 or 13. Hubby's probably quite a bit older. Because hubby has to be established well enough in his career and in his life to be able to buy a bride or give the dowry for a bride, to, be, to, be, to acquire a bride. 
Because this is not our 21st century romance. Gee, we were childhood sweethearts. Let's, you know, get married. This is, I'm, I'm established, I'm good enough, I, I've got a career, I've got enough resources, I can take on a wife, I can begin a family, let me go find some child, <laughs> I would call her that, 12 or 13, who's of marrying age, and convince her family, her father, to give her to me. So she's in that bubble, in that world. And an angel of God appears to her and calls her, first of all says rejoice. Second of all, calls her, oh favored one. And then third, says the Lord is with you. And she's like, this is out of order. This is, this is perplexing. This, 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 I didn't wake up this morning prepared for this. This is not what I had on my plate today. What is going on here? And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's thinking, okay, what on earth is happening to me? And we hit those times in life where we're confused, where we're uncertain, where we're perplexed, where we're bewildered, where we're disoriented, where we're uncleared. Dia Terrasso. We hit those times where something happens. And in the midst of that, we need to hear the voice of God to rejoice, O oh, favored one, the Lord is with you let that untangle your confusion because you and I are loved God so loved the world that he gave his only son the whole advent story is a story of love the whole story of the whole focus is a focus of love not only did Christ come because of God's love but he enters into a relationship with you and me because he loves us. It's not because we're just that cool. And he's coming again because he loves us. So let's get back to the buffet line and, and uh, we've got time for another item. This is important. Did you know that God does incredible things? Did you know you can go to the bank on the fact, the fact that God does incredible things? The story continues. The angel says to her, Mephobu, don't be afraid, Mary. Um, there are times... All right, there's a, there's a fella down in Bay City, Texas. I forgot his name right now. Um, he was a state rep 20, 30 years ago. And, and he just was, is Sam Harless here today? Sam Harless is our state rep. Sam, you need to remember this. If he watches when he's not here. Um, this was a good trick. He called everybody a great American. Hey, here's a great American. And he'd shake Larry Shalette's hand. Now, do you know why he'd call everybody a great American? Because he didn't know anybody's name. And it was just an easy way to slide on by. So if I don't know Larry's name, I say, hey, there's a great American. And it sounds really intimate. For a politician. Instead at church we'd say, there's a great brother in Christ. Which means, I don't remember your name. <laughs> so when the angel Gabriel comes and says, greetings, rejoice, oh favored one. It's not because he didn't know her name. Because he uses it. Don't be afraid, Mary. And, and I love what he says here. But if you're going to hear it, you need to hear it 
to use a musical term with crescendo. So it's kind of like, just watch the volume. Watch him turn up the volume as he says it. Don't be afraid. You know why? Get a load of this. Don't be afraid, Mary. Okay, I have to be closer to it. Oh, wait, there it is. Oh, no, 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 no. I changed slides. I forgot to delete it. That's why it wasn't working right. Sorry. Okay, now let's do this slide instead. Don't be afraid. See, watch. I was up here for a reason. There. Don't be afraid, Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Whoa. Tell that to a 12, 13-year-old girl who hadn't had sex. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son. But crank up the volume. You're going to call his name Yehoshua. Yehoshua. Yahweh is my salvation. Yahweh saves. You're going to name him a name that is prophetic in Scripture about a Savior God. You'll call his name Yehoshua. And he will be great. Crank it up a little more. And he'll be called Son of the Most High. Crank it up a little more. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Crank it up more. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Crank it up more. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that will blow your doors off. It doesn't matter how old you are. That's a God who does incredible things. Remember, find yourself in this story. This story is not just something God did to Mary and for Mary. This is something God used Mary for to do for us. Because this kingdom that will have no end is the kingdom of which we're a part. This is the Son of the Most High who can reign over all of our hearts. Because God does incredible things. As Paul would say in Ephesians, he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us and to him be the glory. That's the God we have. Say, well, yeah, but that was then, this is now. No, 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 no. Those are the three focuses. That was then the arrival in Bethlehem, but the arrival in Bethlehem is so he can arrive in your life and stay in your life until he comes again. And this is a proper focus for all of us as we go to the buffet. And before we leave the buffet line, I've got one last uh, item for you. God is not predictable. But that's okay. God is not predictable. But that's okay. Look at the passage. It continues. Mary says to the angel, um, <clears throat> I don't get this. I'm still a virgin. And the angel answered and said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High, remember he's going to be son of the Most High. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, will be born, the child to be born will be called holy, different, unique, set apart, holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. 
There's not anything impossible here is from Adunamos, which, which is uh, nothing is outside his power. There's nothing outside the power of God. Now, I'd like to be personal with you for a moment. I don't always understand God. He does not write the story of which I live the way I would have written it. And I don't think God just, you know, to use a sports metaphor coach, I don't think God just gets a great joy out of deliberately throwing a slow curve so that we're standing there and we're hitting and totally missing the, oh, I was expecting a fastball. God's not deliberately throwing you curveballs just because of the thrill of seeing you swing and miss or be surprised. But God has always done the unanticipated. I mean, go back to the beginning. Look back in Genesis, the Joseph story. Whoever would have thunk that God would provide for the family of Joseph, his brothers, his dad, all of the extended relatives through a famine by the brothers selling Joseph into slavery and Joseph being imprisoned after the Potiphar mess and then finally getting released and becoming second only to Pharaoh in the kingdom. Whoever would have thunk? Whoever could have written that script for his life? I mean, Jesus, come on. Who would have thought that Jesus would feed 5,000 with a couple of loaves and fish? That's totally unpredictable. Jesus says, let's feed the people. His disciples say, well, how are we going to do that, man? We, we ain't got much. You know, we, we're in trouble here. We got a riot starting. Jesus says, we got plenty. Whoever would have thought about manna coming from heaven, that had to stun Moses and everybody else. The appearance of snow falling in the Sinai. And it's edible. I mean, whoever would have thought that fill in the blank over and over and over in these biblical stories, God is doing something that nobody's expecting. And he does that in my life. So as I was preparing the PowerPoint, I was listening to a, a playlist I've got on Spotify. Uh, old CCM, I think I call it. If you ever want to get on my Spotify stuff, you can download it. Um, old CCM. And they're just old Christian songs that meant a lot to me when I was a kid. Kid. Teenager. Young adult. In my 20s. I talked to our daughter Rebecca this morning and I said, do you have songs, Christian songs, that minister to you in your life? Right now. And, and for the last number of years. And she said, yes. And I said, so do I. And I said, but I've been listening to songs that ministered to me when I was your age. And, and it not only evokes all of the old memories that I had at the time. But it also allows me to look back with the perspective of four more decades and see how true those things are. So treasure that. Get those songs. If you don't have a playlist, regardless of your age, if you don't have a playlist of songs that minister to you in the Lord, get them. And let them minister to you in the Lord. Um, one of the old Amy Grant songs. Well, it seems... With you, there's something new every time I turn around. I never really know quite what to expect, but it won't keep me down. Because I know you bring each and everything just to teach me how to live. And the secret of it all is trusting in you and the wisdom you give. we got to be faith-walking people. Great lyric. Meant the world to me as a young person. But now I can look back 40 years later and think, man, what right did she have to write that song as a teenager, late teenager, early 20s? That song needs to be written by someone who's at least 61. Because now we understand how true that really was. Uh, she recently celebrated the 30th anniversary of her album, Heart in Motion. 
And she's got this song, How Can We See That Far? And in the song she says, she's got this line, and at the time she was married to Gary Chapman, whose father was a Assemblies of God, I think, a pastor, a preacher. And she says, like your daddy said, the same sun that melts the wax can harden clay. The same rain that drowns the rat will grow the hay. And the mighty wind is, dad was, I think, Plainview, somewhere out in West Texas, near Lubbock. So we knew mighty wind. And the mighty wind that knocks us down, if we lean into it, will drive our fears away. God is at work. And you can let the things that confuse you and surprise you knock you down. Or you can just lean into it and trust God and know that we don't see as far as he is. And that's okay. Because he's going to work it all out. We cannot get so caught up in the moment of life right now that we lose the faith of perspective of eternity. And Advent teaches us not only what's happened in the past, but what's in the present and the future. It ties them all together. And that's the buffet line. So our Advent today, light for today, please just give God the time. Because you are loved. And he is at work. And you can stake your eternity on that. So with that, I want to bless you. Uh, it is time for church. But let me bless you in the name of Jesus. And we've got to clear out fast because they've got to get ready for the Spanish. Lord, in the name of Jesus, the one who has come, who is here and is to come. The one who was and is and is to come. I ask your blessings, your blessings, the blessings of the one for whom everything is possible. I ask your blessings to fall upon each one who hears this message in ways that inspire faith and courage and hope and trust and joy. Through Jesus our Lord, amen. amen.